It's really good to see those of you who have taken the time to be back here on site uh, in Emmanuel House. Uh, very soon, we are planning to allow more to be back. And I trust that those of you who are participating with us uh, online uh, will consider this and make plans towards coming back here to Emmanuel House. You know, when the Lord grants us grace, like being able to physically gather together, uh, we ought to be deeply appreciative of such grace by being here as well, O Lord, and thanking the Lord together as a community. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 21, verse 12. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. You know, Jesus addressed these words to his disciples. He revealed what would happen to them after his departure. The Christian community will be persecuted, not for any wrongdoing, but for bearing the name of Jesus Christ. Believers will be brought before kings and governors. You know, when these words were spoken, at the time of Jesus Christ, the king then was Herod Antipas. You know, Antipas was patriarch of Galilee and Perea, ruling the very region where Jesus performed the majority of his ministry. He married Herodias, his brother's Philip wife. Now, Christian history immortalized him as the ruler responsible for the imprisonment and decapitation of John the Baptist, who spoke out against this incestuous marriage. Antipas had always wanted to see Jesus because he heard a lot about Jesus. Reports about Jesus keep coming back and he received them. So he wanted to see Jesus all the time. But it was also said that he wanted to kill Jesus. His only encounter with Jesus, however, was at his trial, which we will come to later on. The governor then was Pontius Pilate. Historians describe him as inflexible, stubborn, and cruel. You see, on one occasion, Pilate actually introduced military standards in Jerusalem, bearing the image of the Emperor Tiberius, violating the Jewish ban on images. It led to a five-day non-violent protest at Pilate's residence. You know what Pilate wanted to do initially? He wanted to slay the protesters. Only when the Jews bare their throats, preferring death to transgressing their law, did Pilate withdraw the images from Jerusalem. Now, Pilate was do not doing this out of kindness. It's all politics. Pilate actually had very little regard for Jewish customs and practices. He tended to aggravate his conflicts with the Jews, which eventually led to his banishment by Emperor Caligula. Now, it is to this governor and king we now come. So if you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles there, and you will encounter 
this governor and this king. Luke chapter 23, verses 1 to 25. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Luke 23, verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priest and the scribe stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of the, your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. And they all cried together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I therefore, I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Now, Jesus was brought before a governor and a king. Earlier on, Jesus said to us, believers will also be brought before kings and governors. You know, if you look at Christian history, 
Christian history comprises pages after pages of saints brought before kings and governors and before rulers even to answer charges against them. I recall Fox. In Fox, Voices of the Martyrs, this is actually an expanded edition of a 16th century book, Fox Book of Martyrs. Well, in this expanded edition, you can find testimonies of Christian martyrs from the early church all the way to the Reformation and from there to the Enlightenment and then to the Industrial Revolution and through the 20th century. The book's introduction explains this. In the sudden martyrdom of John the Baptist and the crucifixion of our Lord, the history of Christian martyrdom must be admitted to commence. And from this, as a basis for subsequent occurrences, we may fairly trace the origin of that hostility which produced so lavish an effusion of Christian blood and led to so much slaughter in a progressive state of Christianity. You know, our text this morning, which I've just read to you, trace the origin of that hostility that serves as a basis for subsequent occurrences. Believers will be brought before kings and governors for Jesus' sake. What then can believers expect? Here's my first point. Expect hostility and opposition. Expect hostility and opposition and they begin and they begin to accuse jesus saying we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to caesar and saying that he himself is christ a king they go on to say he stirs up the people teaching throughout all judea from galilee even to this place you see the sanhedrin the jewish ruling council vigorously press their case against Jesus. Interestingly, the accusations they presented before Pilate, however, are dissimilar to the charges they had against Jesus in an earlier trial of their own. You look at Luke chapter 22, just before chapter 23. In the midst of the trial before the Jewish ruling council, here was the reason why they brought him before Pilate. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you will not answer. From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? He replied, you say that I am. And then they say, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. But when they brought him before Pilate, they did not say he confessed to be the Messiah, he confessed to be the Son of God. No, this is what they say. We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. You see, the original charges were Christological in nature. They had more to do with the identity of Jesus. Jesus 
does not say anything in a trial except to testify to who he really is. He's not interested in answering all their accusations. All he continued to do in the midst of all the questioning is to testify about himself and to testify who indeed he is. But the Jewish ruling council knows that these charges wouldn't stand in a Roman court. The Sanhedrin had to concord crimes that were politically explosive. So they accused Jesus first as an inciter of rebellion. Now, Roman authorities get really nervous around popular Jewish figures who are able to draw around them large and easily excitable crowds. So they present Jesus, be careful of this man, he's an inciter of rebellion. They accuse Jesus as an opposer of tribute to Caesar. You know, one common thread during those days of known messianic pretenders, those who pretend to be a messiah, one of the common threads is their common opposition to Roman taxation and the Caesarean tribute. So that is what the Sanhedrin will say. Hopefully to stir Pilate up to take this man and kill this man. They also accuse Jesus as an imposter with regal pretension. He called himself a king. Claims of kingship during Roman times are dangerous because they are anti-imperial, threatening the Roman status quo. You see, these charges were all engineered to trigger sensitive political nerves. They were meant to stir up hostility and opposition against Jesus. Followers of Jesus unsped as well. They too, or we too, can expect false accusations and trump-up charges. Consider Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Acts chapter 6 says this. So they stir up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They see Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. It's a repeat. Jesus faced false accusation and now the Christian, or in this case Stephen, faces false accusations as well. This is to be expected, brothers and sisters. The day we bear the name of Jesus Christ, the day we boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, the day we testify that Jesus is Saviour, Jesus is King, Jesus is Redeemer, and there is no other Saviour except Jesus Christ, we will be opposed. We will be hated. We will face hostility. Stephen was brought before the Jewish council. He was falsely accused. He was stoned to death for Jesus' sake. Read on the story in, in the book of Acts. Many examples. But how about this? Consider also Paul and Silas at Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were missionaries. They were going around the 
Roman world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone who would hear, Jews and Gentiles alike. So they rushed in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city official, shouting, This man has caused trouble all over the world, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Jesus was killed because he claimed to be a king. Stephen testified that Jesus is the Messiah, the king. And now Paul and Silas is saying exactly the same thing. Jesus is the true king. Opposition comes. Hostility. The mob wanted to bring Paul and Silas before the city authorities. They got hold of Jason and some other believers instead because they couldn't find Paul and Silas. Once more, believers had to face hostility and opposition for Jesus' sake. You know, this is one thing I learned. You bear the name of Jesus, you bear the hatred of the world. I didn't say this. Jesus said this. John chapter 15, verse 18. Now, you know, Jesus doesn't exaggerate. I exaggerate from time to time. Jesus doesn't tell a lie. We tell lies from time to time. Jesus doesn't say something just to get an audience, say something exciting. No, when he, Jesus speaks, He speaks the truth. And this is what our Lord Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So when people hate us because of our faith, when people hate us because we stand firmly on Christian justice, on the truth of the Word of God, when we live our lives according to this truth and refuse to budge, making ourselves very different from the people around us, we will be hated. Herod, finally gets to see Jesus. He hopes to see Jesus put on a show of signs and wonders for his benefit. Perhaps Herod is thinking, you know, I have the power to release you. Show me something exciting. Show me a miracle. Show me a sign. If I'm impressed, I will release you. No. He plies Jesus with many questions. You know what did Jesus do? Say absolutely nothing. Jesus refuses to entertain Herod. So what did Herod do? And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Believers can expect ridicule. You know, I still remember one class gathering I went to. You know, in a typical class gathering, after not seeing one another for so long, what do you ask? What are you doing? Right? Right? So, I, I, I was graduated with a degree in information technology. So, most of my classmates will say something like, oh, uh, um, 
I'm now a manager of an IT company, or I'm now a director in charge of this, this, that, 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 that. No, finally it comes to me, you know, uh, I say, oh, I'm a pastor of the church. I was ridiculed. Another friend of mine say, when he heard that I was a pastor, he said, why do you waste your time doing this? <laughs> Imagine how I feel. <laughs> I, I, I mean, this is nothing. They didn't do anything more. Believers can expect ridicule. They can expect scoffers and mockers. The Word of God says in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words and scoffing at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against these people, until there was no remedy. You know, three times, Pilate declares Jesus innocent. Now, Pilate wasn't being kind. Remember, I described to him, he wasn't being kind at all. Huh? Pilate was intentionally setting himself up against the Jews. If the Jews say A, I say B. If they say yes, I say no. That's Pilate. He has absolutely no respect for the Jewish council. For he, you, you see how cruel Pilate is. He said Jesus is innocent, huh? and then he goes on to say this. I will therefore punish and release him. Punish him for what? Huh? If you declare somebody innocent, what do you do? You are free to go, right? He said this, no? I will therefore punish and release him. Now, in a Roman, when you hear the word punish, it is flogging. And those of us who have seen movies, right, where they depict the flogging of Jesus, oh, it's a terrible thing to behold. Pilate is in a power tussle with the religious leaders. He is completely indifferent to the plight of Jesus. Jesus is merely a pawn in this political one-upmanship. Pilate is willing to subject Jesus to extreme cruelty. Herod sided with Pilate and the two enemies became friends at Jesus' expense. But the crowd refuses the plea bargain. Release Barabbas. Now, here is someone who actually is guilty of not only insurrection, but murder. Here is someone guilty, and here the crowd say this, release Barabbas. Away with this man. Crucify, crucify him. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. What a parody of not my will but yours be done. This time Pilate said not my will then he turned to the crowd but yours be done. What a parody of something that was sacred just earlier on. Later Paul in his last letter to his protege Timothy wrote these words 2 Timothy 3.12 Paul knows he's about to die. He has, he's about to die for his faith. So Paul wrote this letter to the protege Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Expect, brothers and sisters, to be brought before rulers and authorities for Jesus' sake. Expect hostility and opposition. Expect 
persecution. Expect false accusations. Expect ridicule. Expect injustice. You know, according to data from the World Watch List, in 2020, more than 340 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution and discrimination. 340 million Christians. 4,761 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons just in 2020. The year of COVID. 4,277 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced and imprisoned. 4,488 churches and Christian buildings were attacked. The Singapore church by the mercies of God, is presently, presently spared all this. But if we continue to speak up against prevailing social ills like homosexualism, like same-sex marriage, like transgenderism, if we continue to speak up, we continue to do it publicly. We continue to say, this is wrong. We continue to say, it is not because I say it is wrong. It is because the Word of God says it is wrong. Will the day come when those of us hold these views, when our biblical stand on these issues and others like them become the cause of aggressive or violent action against the Singapore church? I wonder about you. Are you presently facing discrimination for your faith? Because you are a Christian, somehow you are discriminated. You know, it's very interesting uh, that uh, in our service this morning, we are reminded, right, in Christ there is no discrimination. No Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female, no free, no slave, right? But then, not so in the world. We are discriminated. You bear the name of Jesus Christ. You bear the name of Christ. You speak up against all these issues. You tell us this is wrong. You will be discriminated. Are you being mocked for defending the name of Jesus? You know, when somebody ridicules Jesus, instead of keeping quiet, you say, no, this is not right. You should not ridicule one who is none other than the Son of God. Will you be mocked for that? Or will you just keep quiet? Are you suffering loss of privilege or status for standing against popular opinions contrary to the teachings of the Bible? 90% of your friends are doing this. You know it is wrong. Do you join them? Or do you choose to say, no, this is not right. In this particular area, I will not join you. You know, when I was in the army, during my reservist days, um, you know the army. Those of us guys, we know uh, uh, the language there sometimes is not very, very nice. Okay? Uh, we, we, we thought that using those languages uh, show that we have command and control. So all those four-letter words will come out. All right? But I told myself this, 
I will not use any of those words, even though I was a commander of an entire company. You know, it's very hard to get to know people once you make a stand like this. You know, I, I still remember um, a few of my officers, my fellow officers were standing together, they were talking, they were sharing, and they were laughing. And then, you know, I just want to be a part of their company as well. So I walked towards them and want to join in with them, you know, to see uh, 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 where I can laugh. Then they immediately stopped, walk away and say, uh, Vincent is here, better don't share this thing. If not, he will not be very happy. So later I found out that they were just telling each other some dirty jokes. Are you being unfairly treated for loving Jesus more than the world? Do not be surprised. Fiery ordeals ought not to be seen as something strange. The Lord says so. If the world hates you, know this, that it first hated me before it hated you. But not all is doom and gloom. Expect hostility and opposition, but also, my second point, expect help and opportunity. Expect also help and opportunity. You know, and Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. That's it. Herod questioned him at some length, but he made no answer at that point in time. You know, Jesus says what he was given to say. He says nothing more. He says nothing less. He says nothing else. In the face of hostility and opposition, Jesus continues to testify to his person. He's very, very clear. Everything else is not important. Testify to the truth. Testify to the person of Jesus Christ. Because Luke 21 says this, and after mentioning that believers will be brought before uh, governors and kings, or kings and governors, Jesus goes on to add this word, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. What? The Lord sends us into hostility and opposition for what purpose? Opportunity to testify. Expect help from God. God does not leave us alone. Expect opportunity to testify. Believers in such situations must not retaliate in the face of evil. They must not repay evil for evil. Earlier, one of Jesus' disciples cut off the right ear of the servant of the high priest. You remember that? Right? He, he cut it off because he thought that you mean evil to my Lord, I return evil to you. So he cut off the ear of the high priest, of the servant of the high priest. But Jesus healed him. And you know what Jesus said to him? No more of this. And this is what Jesus encouraged us with. Uh, two particular passages in Luke. First in chapter 12. When you are brought before synagogue, rulers and authorities, do not worry. Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Remember I said earlier on, Jesus doesn't mince his word. Jesus doesn't over-exaggerate. Jesus didn't say something just to make us encouraged for nothing. He speaks the truth. And this is the truth. Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves. 
or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Again, Luke chapter 21. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. You know, our defence is not the sword. Our defence is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Sharper than any double-aged sword. Penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. The, this promise of divine help and opportunity to testify goes back, in fact, all the way to Moses. Remember, remember this? Moses said to God this, right? Remember this? Uh, because God sent him, wanted to send him into Egypt, right? To do, a, to do something for him. And this is what Moses said. I'm not a man. I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. God said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Here it is. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. Now, I tell you, uh, it's a very nervous thing to appear before the king of Egypt. And then to say to him, demand of him, no? Release my people. I mean, I can understand Moses, especially if you don't have the gift of the mouth. You know, so many people say, Pastor, I can't testify because, you know, I'm not eloquent. Pastor, I can't testify because I always stumble with my words. Pastor, I can't testify because I cannot speak like you. That's not the problem. The problem is that the Lord said, I will help you to speak and teach you what to say. You know, this same help was rendered to Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Opposition arose against him from members of a certain synagogue. They disputed with him. And here, Acts chapter 6, verse 10 says this, None of the people arguing with Stephen, one versus the majority, uh, just one only, uh, only Stephen was there, uh, none of the people arguing with Stephen could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Now, before you think my focus is only all on all these Christian leaders, because Stephen, after all, is a deacon of the church. Maybe it does not apply to the ordinary people. Um, let me tell you this story. Naomi, not her real name, a deaf widow, was forced by COVID-19 to move out of a city in Indonesia back to a remote island. There, she converted to Christianity. Her parents were angry. Her dad locked her in his home. He beat her daily, trying to get her to abandon her faith. Because of daily beatings, Naomi developed serious health complications. Her nine-year-old daughter reached out to her mother's church leaders for prayer. She had to be treated in a city six hours away. She eventually recovered. Her daughter was able to see the Lord's work in her mother's life. Opportunity to testify. Deaf widow, not deacon, not elder, not pastor, not priest. An ordinary deaf widow testified 
for Jesus Christ and refuse to deny Christ in spite of repeated beatings. You bear the name of Jesus, you bear the hatred of the world, but you bear the favour of heaven. You know, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says this, and they have conquered him, him referring to the accuser of our brothers and sisters, none other than Satan. Uh, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Jesus gave himself over to death on the cross, so we conquer by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus gave us the sword of the Spirit, so we conquer by the word of our testimony. Paul was also brought before a governor and a king. Later on, the governor was Felix. Later on, Festus. The king was Agrippa. Charges were also brought against Paul. He too faced hostility and opposition from every side. There was even a plot to kill him. The Lord stood by Paul and said these words, Acts 23, take courage. The Lord Jesus said to him, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. Paul took courage. He testified before the Sanhedrin. He testified before the Roman tribune, Lysias. He testified before the governor, Felix. He testified before the governor, Festus. He testified before King Agrippa. And Paul says this at the end. But God has Help me to this very day so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead will bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. You see that? Same like the Lord Jesus Christ. I will say nothing else except Jesus and Jesus alone. He's not even interested to defend. He's interested to defend the name of Christ. Not himself, but the name of Christ. Brothers and sisters, as you testify to small and great alike, God will help you. Believe this. As you stand nervously wondering, I got a chance to share this with this person that the Lord brought my way. But you're, you're nervous you're not so sure. Remember this. God does not use you because of your eloquence. God doesn't use you because you are somehow influential. God uses you because you are there for that person. And all you need to do is just to open your mouth and testify as you can and trusting that God will help you and give you the very words to use at that point in time. God will help you. So take courage. Share. Speak to others the facts about Jesus. Of course, you must know the facts. This is where Bible study comes in, right? You must learn the Bible. You must know what the Bible teaches. He's the Messiah. Tell them that. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. In fact, He's the fulfillment, the answer, the entire creation, the entire world is looking for. There's only one solution to the problem of this world today, and His name is Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says, there is no other name given under heaven by which we may be saved except the name of Christ. 
He had to suffer. He had to rise from the dead. He had to bring the message of light to both the Jews and the, Gen- and the Gentiles. Repentance and forgiveness of sin must be proclaimed to all nations. You know, there are many nations here in Singapore already. We call them guest workers. Whether they are blue-collar or white-collar, whether they are educated or uneducated, there are many nations here. And some of you cross their path daily. In fact, some of them are living in your house because they are your helper. The Lord Jesus don't expect you to go out into the streets to, to spread the news to people you don't know. He just say, those you know first, those inside your own household. Is there a brother, a sister, an uncle, an auntie, a cousin, father, mother, grandmother, grandfather? Begin there. Bear proudly the name of Jesus, even when everybody around you is mocking you for it. Bear proudly the name of Jesus. Share in his sufferings. Do not be ashamed of him or his words, because Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you when I come in my glory. So don't be ashamed of Jesus. Do not be afraid to testify. Do not worry how you will defend yourself or what to say. The Holy Spirit, as promised by Jesus, will give you the right words and wisdom that can't be resisted or contradicted. No wisdom can contend with that of the Holy Spirit. Trust the Lord to do as He promised. So say to the Lord this, each time you have an opportunity, say to the Lord this, speak, O Lord, and we will echo your words. Speak, O Lord, and I will echo your words. When you do so, be ready. You will suffer loss for Jesus' sake. You will face mockery and ridicule. You will hear evil things said about you. But when that happens, count it all joy. Because Acts chapter 5 says this, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Expect hostility and opposition. Expect also help and opportunity to testify for Jesus. So brothers and sisters, can I encourage you, fight the good fight of the faith and you will prevail. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the many brothers and sisters here in Singapore, here even in this church and elsewhere. They are standing up to their faith, unafraid, boldly, courageously. And yes, Heavenly Father, many a times even receiving from those who do not understand yet, who do not know yet, ridicule, mockery, discrimination, and yes, the loss of privilege, status, perhaps even a promotion opportunity. They suffer because of your name. They lost the benefits of this world because of your name. They lost, O Lord, fame, fortune because of your name, because they chose the treasures of heaven before the treasures of this world. Lord, will you honour men and women like this? 
where you have continually encouraged them and speak into their very hearts and life that you are for them. And if you are for them, nothing can be against them. So they have absolutely nothing to be afraid. But Lord, should any one of them face all these painful, fiery ordeals, let them count it all joy. Because, O oh Lord, they are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. They are not suffering for no reason. They are suffering for Christ's sake. And just as Christ, having suffered, was exalted, Lord, one day those who humbled themselves before Christ, suffered for his, his name, will also be exalted. So, Lord, encourage them with these words. Because, Lord, whenever you make a promise, you will keep it to the very end. Lord, I do not know what opportunity those here in the sanctuary and those who are participating online have to testify for you, even today. Even later on, unexpectedly, someone come up, opportunity presents itself, and there's a chance to say, maybe simply, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. Or simply, where have you come from? I came from church. Simple things to begin the journey, to start the conversation, to build a bridge. Perhaps, O oh Lord, we may not need to say that I'm a Christian. Perhaps an act of kindness, an act of a good work. And when they give you thanks, we channel the thanks back to Jesus Christ. Uh, don't thank me. Thank the Lord Jesus. Simple words. And then we can stop. And then we can go on. Perhaps, O oh Lord, just that one word used by the Holy Spirit, uttered by the Holy Spirit through us, may turn the person's heart to seriously consider the claims of Jesus Christ. Lord, with men this is impossible, but nothing is impossible with you. So help us, Lord. Indeed, O oh Lord, speak, O oh Lord, for your servants are listening and hearing. Speak, O oh Lord, that we may proclaim your name wherever we are. Speak, O oh Lord, that we may testify for you, even in the face of hostility and opposition. We give you thanks, and in your name we pray. And that the people of God say, Amen, Amen.